Welcome to The Way Church. We're glad you're joining us for today's message. For sermon notes, service times, and more information, check us out online at thewaychurchva.com. Now let's join Pastor Matt Rothy with this week's message. Perhaps you've probably noticed this, that every single time that we gather together for worship, for a worship service, our God serves us with his word. The entirety of our worship service is centered around that. God serving us through his word. And maybe you've even noticed this, that every time we get together, we have three readings from God's word, three lessons. You've probably noticed that one lesson comes from the Old Testament, one comes from the New, and still a third comes from the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John. But have you noticed this? Two of those lessons get kind of a short introduction. They get maybe an explanation of what's going on in that lesson. Then have you noticed there's a third lesson that doesn't get an explanation, doesn't really get an introduction, save for this. I say, and this lesson will serve as the basis or the foundation, that which our sermon is based on. Why does that lesson, the sermon lesson, get no special introduction? Well, it's because you might think that that's really what the whole entire sermon does. It explains the text. And really, that's a great way to think about what a sermon is, what a preacher does. Takes a text, points to it, and says, well, this is what God says. Explains the text. That's why two lessons get kind of an explanation, an introduction, and still a third, well, doesn't. But this morning, I'm kind of breaking away from that standard operating practice that we do. I've been doing it already, but I'm offering a little bit of an explanation or an introduction to our sermon text. And can I tell you why? I can't explain this one. There's no sermon that would do this text justice. It's too great. What we're going to read from Ephesians chapter 3 contains knowledge from God that surpasses my understanding. We're actually going to look at a prayer, a multifaceted prayer that contains things that, that you and I just, we can't imagine. So here's what I'm going to propose we do today. In just a little while, I'm going to read Ephesians chapter 3, a prayer that, that the Apostle Paul prays at the end of it. And, and what we're going to do is we're going to point out just two things from it. And from those two points, we're going to make two applications to our lives. You can call that part the sermon, and we will. But before that, what I'd like us to do is, is just prepare our hearts to hear it 
to just prepare our hearts to hear God's word so that through it, we might be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. And so to prepare our hearts for hearing that, would you join me in a short prayer? This prayer is based on a hymn. It goes like this. Speak, O Lord, as we come to you to receive the food of your holy word. Take your truths, plant them deep in us. Speak, O Lord, as we come to you to receive the food of your holy word. Help us grasp the heights of your love for us. Amen. A lesson from Ephesians chapter 3. For this reason, I kneel before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ and to know that this love surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Now, to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine according to his power that is at work within us. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus through all generations forever and ever. Amen. This is God's word. In Ephesians chapter one, what Paul does is Praise God that he chose us from before time began and that he has raised us up with Christ to receive in Christ every blessing. In chapter two, what Paul does is he praises God for his grace, that we are saved by grace alone. And that as an example of this grace, he did away with this ceremonial dividing that took place between Jews and Gentiles. And what he did was bring people together, form a new person in him through faith. We're saved by grace through faith. It's Ephesians 2. Ephesians 3 what Paul does is stop and he just kind of geeks out over the fact that he gets to be a messenger of this mystery, this mystery that we have full and free access to God. And then Paul wraps up chapter three by doing something crazy. He makes use of that full and free access that he has to God, that you have to God, and he storms the throne room of God's grace and he begs, boldly praying on bended knee for God to give us great and glorious things. Did you catch it? Two prayers. In the first prayer, here's what he prays for. He prays that God, out of God's glorious riches, give us spirit's power 
Why? So that we might have Christ's indwelling. Out of God's glorious riches, have the Spirit's power to have Christ in us. That's the first prayer. In the second prayer, he goes on. He prays that we grasp Christ's love so that we might be filled to the fullness of the measure of God. That's what Paul prays for. Great things, glorious things. But now can I make the first point that we want to point out about this text? I said we're looking at just just two points about this prayer. Here's the first one. Paul's praying for something that Christians already have. It's kind of awkward when you think about it. As monumental and profound as the things are that Paul prays for, Christians already have them. So why is he praying for them? I mean, think about this. Here's the first prayer. In the first prayer, he prays out of God's glorious riches, They have the Spirit's power so that they have Christ indwelling. But then in Ephesians chapter 1, Paul says, you already have that. He says that, well, God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. He says, you've already been given the seal of the Holy Spirit. In the second prayer, he prays for more of God's love so that you might be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. But Well, in Ephesians chapter two, he says, God has already raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus, having been brought near to Jesus by the blood of Christ. So I pray for what you and I and, well, the Christians in Ephesus, they already had. Here's why Paul prays for more. It's because it's one thing to know who Jesus Christ is and what he did. Even the devil knows that. And it's another matter entirely to experience the life that Christ Jesus has won for you through the means of the Spirit, word and sacrament found in Christ's church. It's another thing entirely to just know about Jesus, to know him cognitively. But it's another matter entirely to know him existentially, to know him effectually, not just to know him cognitively, but to know him behaviorally, relationally, emotionally. It's like this. Imagine for a moment if you inherited a huge sum of money and that money was, was legally yours. It was given to you. It was put in an account for you. You knew this that legally it's yours, cognitively you knew it was yours. But now imagine this. On some particular day, you go out and about and you find yourself, well, cold, maybe hungry, alone. And yet, because you thought it would be too boring, you didn't bring your checkbook with you. 
too old school. I didn't bring it with me. Because you were too apathetic to, to charge your phone when you saw it was dying, you can't access any of your money because well, you just didn't care about that then because you were too lazy. You didn't memorize any of the ATM codes. And then you walk into the bank, a bank that you've gone to before, and you say, hey, can I have some of my money? But it's, it's too arrogant because you didn't even bring your ID with you. And so they're not just going to hand over money to you. It's yours. Legally, it, it's all yours. And yet, on this particular day, you are as cold, as hungry, as alone, as if it didn't even exist. Why is it that, that Paul is praying fervently on bended knee for something that Christians supposedly already have? Well, it's because besides having Christ in your heart, and you do, there's something else that lives in us. And it's called sin. And what it does is it makes us go out from our homes, go out from our church, go out from God's word. And it's like those things, all those things that God gives us through his word, they, they don't even exist. You know, maybe it's because you're too apathetic, too apathetic to really care about what took place here when God's people gathered around his word and sacrament, that you were really fed by the truths of God's holy word. He fed you and filled you. You go out and, it, and it's exo, it didn't even exist. You find yourself spiritually hungry. Maybe, maybe you're too lazy or... Maybe it's just too boring. You, you look at it and you say, it didn't really do anything for me. I don't really get much out of it. Like, I don't really see the point of getting together with other Christians to study God's word. That you go out on your own and it's as though what happens when you, when you gather together around God's word, when, when you think about your spiritual relationship with him, your life of sanctification well, the battery just drains and it's, it's kind of this cold thing. You step into situations in life that are tricky and, and maybe it's because you're too arrogant. You, you think because of your winsomeness, your charm, your talent, that, that you're going to take care of this all on your own. But it's like you forgot your ID. Your, your spiritual identification, whose you are and who you are in Christ, it makes you kind of step back and wonder why life is the way it is, why it's going the way it's going. Do you see why Paul is praying fervently that you might have more? It's because... Well, Let's make the application to our lives. Paul is praying for more of what Christians already have. Here's why. Because, well, Christians often become disengaged, disenchanted. Maybe you say it's boring. It's not doing much for you. 
And if you find Christianity boring, well, it's because there's something, there's something, something more from Christ you're ignoring. The problem is not with your Christian faith. There's something, there's something more, there's always more that we're ignoring. You look at this beautiful prayer and you look at why Paul's praying for more, it's kind of awkward. This is maybe there's dark side to this prayer. But there's more. There's more because Paul prays, well, it's because of to whom Paul prays. He prays to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine according to his power that is at work within us. To him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus through all generations forever and ever. Amen. Here's the second point that we want to make from Paul's prayer. It's that Paul is praying for more of what Christians cannot even imagine. This is perhaps more amazing and more remarkable than the fact that Paul is also praying for more of what we already have. He's saying, at the end of the day, tie this bow on it and pray for more than you can even imagine. And here's why. It's because even when there are parts of our spiritual lives, parts of our Christian faith that we might not understand, we might become disengaged from because we find boring or because we're too lazy or too apathetic. Even then, there is always more that Christ is outpouring. There is always more that Christ is outpouring into your life. Here's what I want to do for a moment. I just want to pause and, and walk through this prayer together. Here's maybe a, uh, a, a visual of this prayer, Ephesians chapter 3. Here's how we started out. It says this. It says, Paul said, I kneel before the Father. You can't see it, but in all caps is that person of the Trinity, the Father. And underlined is what he gives us, his glorious riches, or what Paul is praying for. And then in red is what he wants to happen to this gift that he's asking for from the Father. He wants it to strengthen you, okay? He's praying for some wonderful, glorious riches of God, the Father, and he wants it to strengthen you. And here's the second one. So that with power through his spirit in your inner bearing, he wants to strengthen you with power, the spirit's power in your inner being. He doesn't want you to just know about his glorious riches or know about his spirit's power. He wants it to impact you effectively emotionally, experientially. He wants you in your inner being, the core of who you are, your consciousness, to be strengthened with the Spirit's power to have the Father's glorious riches so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. You see what Pastor Paul is doing with this prayer, don't you? He is 
pointing us to what it is that strengthens our faith, how it is that the foundation of our faith, Christ Jesus, is solidified, how your heart is Christified, how he is pumping more and more, deeper and deeper into you, all of the gifts that God gives to you. And that's just the first prayer. (laughs) He goes on from there. There's more. He says, and I pray that you being rooted and established in love, grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. And to know that this love surpasses knowledge. The words he used there, to know, it's not just that you kind of like know it, like you know your ABCs and one, two, threes. It's that you know the significance of this, that you grasp it, that you wrestle it down and you hold this, the love of Christ, because this is what you are rooted in. This is what you are established in. It goes back to the very top. It's so that you may be filled to the measure of the fullness of God. This beautiful Trinitarian prayer goes around and around and around again in a cycle to drive into you more deeply what all we have in Christ. That you would have the fullness of God. That you would be filled to the measure of the fullness of God. What is the fullness of God? Well, it's, it's that you would have the Father's glorious riches, the Spirit's power, Christ's indwelling, Christ's love, and that you would have it, not just cognitively, but you would have it effectually in your heart and in your lives. And then after Paul prays for this, for you, he ends it this way. He says, okay, now to him, who is able to do immeasurably more than all we asked or imagined, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Paul asked for amazing things. The fullness of God. What is that? It is, it is the fullness of having everything that is God's, the Father's glorious riches, the Spirit's power, Christ's indwelling, Christ's love. And then he says, okay, now Damu is going to do even more than all you can ask for or imagine. Damu be glory. Amen. Can you imagine that? I mean, you can't, but... Can you even imagine that? What if? What if we were to have a a truly Christian imagination that, well, imagined all that Christ has done, is doing, and will do? I mean, parents, think about that. Think about imagining your life with your children with a God who is able to do immeasurably more than than all you can ask or imagine. Married couples, imagine that. Imagine having your Jesus there who is able to do immeasurably more than all you can ask or imagine. Single people, single people who, who maybe have hearts content or hopes for a spouse, imagine having Jesus there, 
in your dating relationship, in your single life, a Jesus who is able to do immeasurably more than all you can ask or imagine. Imagine that. Imagine having Jesus, that Jesus, in the classroom, in the boardroom, in the Zoom room. Imagine that Jesus when, when God's people and God's pastors sit down together. Imagine that Jesus who is able to do immeasurably more than all we can ask or imagine being there and, and in and very much his power, a part of the conversations that this church has about what God's church is going to do next. Imagine that Jesus in the morning. Imagine that Jesus when you go to bed at night. Imagine that Jesus, the next time you are afraid, the next time you are alone, the next time you are tempted, and ask yourself, what what do I need? Because what you have is a Jesus who is able to do immeasurably more than all you can ask for or even imagine. And what you also have is his power, which surpasses all understanding. You have that with you. And what you also have is him who can do immeasurably more than all you can ask or imagine. You have him dwelling in you. I mean, Christians, can we imagine what it's like having a, a truly Christian imagination that, that reflects on Jesus and all he has done, all he is doing, and all he will do? Is there any sickness? Is there any pandemic that's too menacing to face? Is there any financial burden that's too heavy to bear? Is there any spiritual burden, guilt, or shame that's too much to carry to Christ? Is there any division between, between people or people groups that's, that's too wide to repair? Is there any relationship that's too broken to repair? Is there any abuse that's, that's too painful to heal? Is there any problem that's too great to fix? To him, with him, who is able to do immeasurably more than all we can ask or imagine. Friends, imagine what it would be like if everybody here, if everybody in in our Christian community, went before the throne room of God and fervently, on bended knee, boldly prayed this prayer for one another. Can you imagine having a Christian imagination like that? Question, what would that do for you? Answer, more. (laughs) More than you can ask for or imagine. Now to him, now to him whose glory is in Christ Jesus and the church, Jesus, may God grant that for his sake. Amen. Amen.